0: Holy crap, thank you guys for making the time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Drop. So today, we have three incredible colorists, starting with our senior colorist here at Digital Film Tree and CTO, Thomas Gallion. We have one of our favorite people in color, Shaylee Brooks. And we have Henry Santos, one of the first people in the doors of what has become Digital Film Tree one of our colors and post-producers. Thank you guys for joining us on our pseudo pitch. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for for inviting us.
0: Yeah. Well, so today's episode is Color Science for Geniuses. And we say that with as much humility as we are able to muster. (laughs) But each of you has quite a calling card, resume, list of credits, etc. And each of you is just a beast on Resolve. In addition to the many other formats of which you have used leveraged etc but currently this team right here gets to co-mingle on a lot of things including home economics um and thomas you have been coloring ncisla for quite a bit now yes um but you're making the festival circuit with uh blush and telling time right now i think
2: yes so bravo indie side yeah that's awesome yeah And i think severin's um Eyes of Fire is also making some festival
0: rounds. That has made a lot of waves. Uh, that's exciting. That's one of our neighbors, actually, just down the street here from Digital Film Tree. Severin has their own wild, wonderful basement vault full of goodies and glories. Uh, and Thomas got to do Eyes of Fire, which was a huge, uh, we're probably gonna have to cut some of that in to see the differences between <laughs> what it was and what it became, so that was pretty cool. but. That actually touches on history. And I would love to learn from you guys because you all have your own entry points into color, but you all did so much before you even went into color. So Thomas, we got to hear about your history a little bit in What the Fuck is Geopost?
2: Yes, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: So maybe we're going to start with Shaylee.
1: I started my color career at Anderson Video back in uh, 1993. Um, I uh, had been in the engineering department for a number of years. I'd done, been a tape operator. I, I started in the business in like '88, I think was my first job as a tape op, uh, working for Alan Landsberg, doing TV, movies, online editing, kind of stuff like that. Uh, and I migrated into working in the engineering department building Telescene Bays at Anderson Video. They had moved in there like '92 or so, something like that. So they were still building out. We were still adding Telescene Bays. So I helped build Telescene Bay uh, four and five
0: bananas so can i interrupt this story for a second to ask how you met duck curiosity for genius. oh duck yes because
1: duck's an incredible human same being same thing
0: yeah. we'll pull it apart just so yeah. you can rebuild it and make it better it sounds like a similar bend there
1: well duck and i hit it off immediately i remember the first time we met duck actually quite clearly oh, he hated me quite clearly no no i i i, I don't know if he liked me or not but but uh, uh i liked him immediately i was very impressed by him he walked and into well-star. my, t- I was working at Modern at the time, and he, he had taken a job at Modern. I don't think he'd, I don't think he'd been there too long. Um, and I was doing Everybody Loves Raymond dailies, I believe, at the Whoa, time. Whoa, cool. And uh, at that time, we did a lot of t- TV sitcom dailies. We did Friends, Veronica's Closet, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, all those were there. Uh, so anyway, I was doing Everybody Loves Raymond dailies, and he walked in. He was going around checking everything out and just soaking up whatever he could and meeting everybody and asking questions.
0: Well, so. and then how did it go from dailies color into full on color?
1: Well, so that's a bigger, that's a bigger jump, right? And most colorists will tell you that that's, that's the, that's kind of the catch 22 of color, right? Um, you can't do final color unless you've done final color. And when are you going to, well, have you done final color? Oh, you're daily colors. Yeah. I have a couple of friends that I've trained 25 years ago. They're still doing dailies today. Yeah. I, I know some people that I train that are making a they're doing a lot of noise. You you know their names. But I so, mean that's um, the thing.
0: We actually have two I would say almost two and a half episodes just about dailies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We have what the fuck is dailies, lasso dailies, and what the fuck is Geopost because wow. it actually really bothered me that even in our own team we call it it's just dailies. it is not just dailies well and i think that's a fault of our
1: industry right and and, and i think i think actually we need to change that honestly i I actually
3: ladies and
2: gentlemen welcome to the
1: drop right yeah i mean honestly dailies is more important than uh, people will give it credit credit for right because it costs money and so they and they found that we can cut corners and dailies will be just fine and we can still cut our picture And at the end you can give it to any one of us and we'll make it look fantastic no matter how bad your work print looks. But it's short-sighted because how much, how many shots fall on the, on the floor because uh, they didn't realize it's a great shot because it looks so bad because of the way it was processed. And a single thought is, is never going to do it. You need somebody to look at the photography, especially when you're shooting television specifically. TV shows shoot 25, 30 setups a day and they can't take the time to light the way that like a, a feature film that is a $300 million feature film. They're going to do six setups a day. And they're going to show up at the beach from 5 to 5.30 seven days in a row and take every angle. So it's always that same half hour. TV doesn't shoot that way. Yeah. You start shooting at 8 in the morning. You go until whenever, right? So, And it is what it is. And the photographers are all incredible, but they get beaten up so much. Because, oh, well that doesn't look perfect. And you're like, you shoot 25 or 30 setups a day and go, go, right. go, 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 go. That's where, honestly, this is, this is the relationship I have with my photographers, is that, look, let's work together collaborative, collaboratively and figure out exactly what works for us as a team and we can make sure that that, that you know you can find a way to get around things, right? So, for example, um, filling faces is really a very time-consuming thing, right? So the accru- accurate and liberal use of windows can really help a photographer a, t- a TV photographer out a lot and give that give that image a lot more shape and not just over overly contrasty right, right. We, we like contrasty but there's a there's a there's a, a technique to get the face to the right contrast but you want your environment to be a certain contrast so so th- these are the kinds of things that, that honestly that the photographers are thinking about when they light right this is like right in their wheelhouse the problem is, is that they don't print their own things we do we print for them right right yeah. and so our job is to pick up and be able to print it accurately based on what they want and also be able to pick up where their crew wasn't able to do something you know like one of the things I love about digital dailies and and digital capture in general is it's made it a lot easier for me to especially in the final stage because uh, I can figure out how it was shot based on the metadata right mm-hmm. whereas like because I did grow up doing dailies I mean I did dailies like eight, nine years, I worked Graveyard Chef for seven or eight of them.
2: And I think that's that's where you learn (laughs) how to
1: color correct. And that's the thing is, now we're not actually having our dailies people color correct
2: anymore. We're
1: just having them process.
0: I feel like Mike Streeter might disagree a little. Well,
2: it depends on the show. He's good, yeah, yeah. It depends on the show. He's definitely, like, sharpened his teeth on shows. But yeah, I mean, I think... Like, I I actually started with Resolve coloring from from Henry, actually. We had a show, uh, Mistresses, I think was the first show that I sharpened my teeth on in Resolve. And it's like, yeah, it all starts in dailies, and you have to build that relationship with the DP because they're shooting so many setups so quickly that a simple LUT might go way off the rails. And they might even know that, but they might need to pick up the shot really quick, and they're just like, okay, well, I know you're going to pull the exposure back for me or I know you're gonna light their faces for me. And then like DPs are always giving me notes where they're, when they're monitoring on set, and I don't know how common this is, but they're seeing their dailies color on one monitor because that's what they're really looking for in judging exposure. But then they also have another monitor so they can see the log image so that they know how much range they have. So we, they know what we can pull back and what we can't. So if you clip the log image, it's gone, but If you see that it's there you can just be like all right here's a little picture find this scene pull those highlights down for me we just need to wrangle this small area
0: really quick before we dive into that everyone here has at some point had a conversation Mm -hmm. about ted lasso and so i bring that up because they used nine cameras last season and we were so hungry to have mark wilkins on a drop (laughs) uh to talk about that but uh Thomas, I know you've even had conversations with Mark, just kind of trading stories and battle scars about those kinds of things. But h- how many cameras have you guys had to deal with on any given oh, show?
1: It depends on the project. I yeah. mean, you know, so there are certain like, you know, like a documentary, for example. You know, you're dealing with you're all kinds into, of formats. You could get up to twenty. You
3: know?
0: yeah. yeah. Well, Henry, what was the story so, that Rami was telling so earlier? So Rami was
3: talking about Dust to Glory, and Dust to Glory was this race documentary that happened happens actually every year in Baja California it's where they take trophy trucks million-dollar trucks and race through the desert and you've got to get from point A to point B it, it might break down whatever but they, you still got to make it at the very end and so at that time they shot with DV cams film um,
0: had to probably be a GoPro oh my mounted God. on
3: something. I don't even think they had GoPro. Really? I swear, <laughs> it was yeah. all DV cam and it was like all this footage. And the most impressive part was that at the end of the day, they wanted to, number one, add film grain to some of the stuff that was not film and just make it very stylistic. That project was just crazy.
0: From front to end, how front long end,
3: was it? Oh my God, it was brutal because we were doing a... Proof of concept, and I graded that in After Effects.
2: Oh boy! In After Effects, Dude, oh boy. It, was, it was a wow, nightmare. That's, that's I, a, I like, fought that's to a get a
3: DaVinci. <laughs> wow! Uh, and everybody said no. We want the story, and Adobe wanted the story, so I ended up coloring that Mouse in a keyboard. in a plugin called uh, Color Finesse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That is a plugin for Adobe, and my timelines were I couldn't play anything in real time. It was more like. <laughs> It would preview I'm
0: so sorry, pedestrian. Does color finesse still exist?
3: I think it does. As a plug in. As a plug-in, yeah. I feel like we're
0: gonna need screen grabs of this. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
3: It was brutal. So I I probably came out with carpal tunnel. I don't know. Like it was just crazy. Um, but it was amazing because I actually had the opportunity to grade that was the first time I did like a DI. And this was at a facility that's not there anymore. I don't know if we could drop names, but Mm Did you guys do a film out? Um, Laser Pacific. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, you I went. I mentioned
1: Laser Pacific. Everybody loves it's Laser Pacific. It's
3: so yeah. funny. I, I went there and um they, they, they looked at me and they're like, what tool are you gonna use? And I had the opportunity to use at the time a DaVinci 2K. Or they're like, Luster? And I'm like, no, unfortunately, they want me to, I wish I gotta use a a just Mac or PC running after effects with color finesse and I need color finesse and they're like what and it was it was kind of crazy.
0: Well Henry how did you even find yourself in that position? Give us your backstory. Oh god
3: (laughs) that was just because a lot of people don't know but DFT loves to do R And and so Adobe had hit us up with this project and then they're like would you be interested in doing this type of a project and I'm At first, like Rami was like, sure. He says yes to everything. Um, But it was when I was actually, they knew that I did color on the Final Cut Pro three wheel color corrector. And so then when I looked at it, it was like, okay, what's kind of similar. The actual controls were actually better, Uh, but there was no tablet. It was all just a pin, a tablet or a mouse click and drag. And um, I took it on. But I, once I was in there, I was just like, Oh God, like, please help. <laughs>
0: Prior to that. I mean, like what got you there? Like d- to what? color. Yeah. I mean, was it something that basically this proof of concept forced you into? No, or no, what's no, it no. Like? So, yeah.
3: so what's funny is I actually grew up here in studio city. These are my old like skating streets. Nice. And uh, throughout the years I've, I've known people that work in the industry when i was in junior high my actual introduction to the industry was building sets yeah. uh, so my summer job to stay out of the streets and be a good kid uh, was to actually go do <laughs> go build paint sets at my god i did it everywhere i worked at paramount warner brothers that's commercials. a nice drop
0: first of like yeah. I'm like putting together these things of like, oh, so were you already thinking about like color and how no, things I was up not. on camera then? No. no,
3: what's crazy is that at the time, I, I, like any kid, you don't know what the hell you're going to do. And I just went because it was like, you know what, this is cool. We get to go on sets, build sets, paint them. You know, they look really cool. So that was the first introduction to it. Then I ended up actually working at the same place where I met uh, Rami, which was Magic Film and Video Works. And that's where I got introduced to negative cutting. And I had no concept of like what telecines were at the time. It was like kind of crazy, but it was cool to see like we would take films that basically we would cut down, break them down, splice them together. Then they would go scan them and then they, they went into color. And the first time I did see color, it was actually with a project that we were working on that they would scan or not scan they would basically transfer to, to tape and then they would send that off and then that tape would then get color corrected I'm like oh okay so then that's where I finally got like looped into it and I, I built like an interest towards it
0: and you you could do that at magic
3: yeah so I like I had talked to the higher ups and I was like you know I would love to get into it and mm-hmm. it was the whole thing of dailies. It's like, whoa, well, we have openings all the time at night, and right. I'm like, gosh,
1: oh, <laughs> yeah. If you're willing to work, work it? overnight, it
3: yeah, would... yeah, yeah, you want to work long nights, and it's like, yep, yep, okay, sure, you know. And I got into it, and eventually it became a, a thing, and 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 that's where I met Rami. This was a guy, like '90s. Rami
0: nine. was on overnight.
3: Oh yeah, we were all through what? it. Like there was days that we would be during the daytime, and then there was days like, oh my God, you guys got to come in at night. But uh, it was it was a beautiful thing. It was actually seeing technology when it was film, mm-hmm. go from analog to digital, mm-hmm. and then to high definition. Yeah. And like now, I can't even. It's really hard to conceptualize like not seeing film anymore. Like, it, like
1: it was hard at was, first to kind of like believe that. Oh, dude, it wasn't I was like going to always be a thing. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely one of those early guys.
3: Film, is,
1: film yeah. is so great, <laughs> and and you know honestly I. I still love film, it, yeah. the, much like I like vinyl, but it's it's also a, a, an antiquated It format, is, yeah. Right? yeah. So, like, I did a short film two years ago uh, called I Am Normal, yeah, and uh, it was actually shot by Helena Hutchins. Mm-hmm. Um, so we shot that, well, Helena shot that on film, 2Perf. They did 2Perf Technoscope, right? And that was a really cool project to work on, but it came with all of the problems with film, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, digital is just... It's just made things so much more accessible and much easier. And, and, and honestly, where the technology's gone has evolved oh, yeah. incredibly. So I was an original film guy, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: But I, I went, so I worked at Company 3, and I did dailies there. Uh, it's a different beast there. Uh, dailies for. that's where I believe the true dailies color came, and it changed the industry. Because all dailies that came out of there looked like final. Like, they actually would sit there, grade them. There's nothing about LUTs, right? They actually right. need to look good. And when they, when...
1: But they were charging for it, too. Oh,
2: they were. So that, Top that, that's, directors. I mean, that's, yeah.
1: that's the problem we have. Because everybody would love to do that. Yeah, right? It's yeah. just a matter of how do you provide that and, you know, and make it affordable and, and a, accessible. To, yeah,
3: A-list you know. directors basically wanted it to look right. like final. So they, that's where the actual grade came from. And when they started editing, like their film looked amazing. It was already in a good spot. Yeah, editors, yeah, exactly. Editors had like butter to just cut, you know? And mm-hmm. and so by the time that it came back to doing final color, it already had an established look. And it, it, was, it was amazing. At that point, it's like, oh my God, they're painting on canvas, you know? That opened the doors for me. I ended up working there. And then I just saw the opportunity that I would still want to learn more and i ended up working at technicolor throughout all this time i was always helping rami with digital film tree and pushing digital film tree to become what it is today and like i had basically in a way it was like three jobs it was crazy Mm -hmm. had no you know no no wife and kids so it was like when you're young and you have kind of like that drive you just kind of go and you just work hard and yeah. Figure things out and figure things out with the industry. And it just, it was beautiful, you know? Like, I think the transition of how everything's evolved has become very, very nice.
0: Speaking of three jobs in the evolution of Resolve, yeah. Thomas Galleon. Hi. You've had 94 different jobs here, everything from
2: Potentially, you know,
0: architecting yeah. Architecting our server and machine rooms to bay setups, wiring, building the computers themselves battle testing every last piece of equipment, fixing the drop set up for us, uh, <laughs> providing color even when we blow it out.
2: And... No, it's um, good.
0: But we, we got to hear a lot of like how you kind of came through with school and everything. And then um, I'm really kind of interested in the battle test of Resolve and how we really dove into that and all that you've done to kind of push that forward here for us. I mean, we do dailies in Resolve, we color in Resolve, we online, like Resolve is pretty ubiquitous for us and largely because yeah. you made a lot of that happen, sir.
2: Everybody kind of starts by looking at photography, like there's there's photography backgrounds for a lot of people um, and where, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely the newcomer at the table. I fully recognize that, like my start was tape, realistically, uh, and... What I did a lot of was, was commercial work and one-man band. I was I was filming. Sometimes I would do sound, and you're always interested in making the best image. It wasn't really until actually my time at Digital Film Tree that I sat down in a proper color bay. Uh, and is that, that for wrecked? Ooh, or was it? Let me think about that. I, I love
0: the wreck stories. Were you here for Rekt?
2: Yeah. Rekt is kind of an interesting. Yeah, I started those.
3: That was a real nightmare.
2: Yeah, Rekt Rect was an interesting use case, um, but also for the technology side was an interesting use case. When I started, I also had roots in local access. Uh, I was fortunate enough that the school we were doing was shooting all sporting events, so I had a background in, in live production. That's so right. we'd be making tape editing bays, and we'd be making our edit decision lists on paper so that we can get all of our tapes going so that we can cut our master and then we were literally just using ccus to like slightly finesse everything make sure our bars are all calibrated make sure the image looks good and so colors have kind of always been a part of that pipeline but it wasn't until sitting down in front of resolve really where you start to see how much you can do and how quickly you can like help support the image which is really kind of the Uh Aha moment for me.
1: It's an evolution from the engineer to to the more colorist. Is a lot of people say it was a creative job, and it is a super creative job, but it's also a very technical job, right? And so, if you have, I actually think that's the right order of evolution is to come at it from like an engineering technical position and then kind of evolve into it,
2: right? Yeah, I always say there's like three three tasks for a colorist, right? And especially now, like part of it is technical, part of it's engineering. Part of it's artistic. You have to have that vision. You can help guide the vision, and then you also have to be a really good collaborator because ultimately, bartender, oh, bartender, <laughs> bartender nice. <that's> right. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to work really well, especially with rooms that are like that might all have different opinions. You might have a producer that wants it to go one way, a DP that wants it to go another way, and ultimately, we all care about what the final images looks like. So. It's kind of steering the whole ship so that we all have consensus is also kind of a a very necessary task.
0: I I actually, this was something that, that you had brought up earlier, your relationship with the DPs. I'm actually interested in that for all of you. I obviously, again, I'm going to start Thomas because I have the most proximity, but like, you, you're, you have a very close relationship with everybody on NCIS LA.
2: Yeah, very, very fortunate that they're, uh, right when they're filming, if they see anything that looks challenging, they'll, they'll send it my way. We'll, we'll get into conference calls and say, hey, how are we gonna shoot this day for night? Like, what do we need to be aware of on set? Um, and, and so in a way, I'm, that's really fortunate. Um, I mean, it's not all just, you know, a million cameras and explosions, but there's definitely that aspect to it. Um, it's also, I think the team is really good because they're all part of the, like the full process, all the way from production, visual effects, and color. Um, so working, working with the team for NCIS is fantastic, they're, they're really good about What's been something, and
0: it doesn't have to be NCIS, but like something that you really got to sink your teeth into and you really felt like, oh, this is this is a fun challenge and this is a good collaboration.
2: So, so one thing I really like about, going to the back to those three sections of, of what a colorist is, part of the technical side but and part of the collaboration is there is a mingling now between visual effects and color, mm-hmm. right? It's happening all at the same time. It directly affects everybody. And, and I would say my, my favorite, favorite challenge was, uh, and it is an NCIS actual. It was like a cold open for NCIS. They were doing a jet fighter scene. Um, oh, this
0: most recent one.
2: I well, I think it was last season. Last, well, season. last season. I the loved season it. Season
0: opener. Yeah. It, that our, our VFX team is nominated for an HBA yeah, award on. Yeah.
2: They, yeah, they got to use that scene. I was like, can I use that for <laughs> the color? Because <laughs> the color was really fun and challenging. So a lot of it's 3d generated but a lot of it is also like stock a lot of it is blue screen everything is shot at different days so nothing matches and then what was really interesting is having a uh very sort of cohesive and still colorful look for night which is traditionally you know cold and not a lot of color or anything like that and so going through the different versions and making sure that color is still tracking working with visual effects and mats that i would say is probably one of my favorite collaborations it turned out exceptionally well um, and it blurred the line because some things that you would do in visual effects you know we were doing in color right Uh, like little blurs and things were trying to accentuate the wind flowing across the the wing they're like okay I don't like that logo on that model but instead of going back and re-rendering everything can we just like darken that or, or smudge that up a little bit and I think that scene turned out Oh, and like the fog, like the fog is also kind of just my windows just lifting things up because we needed consistency between graphics and um, Yeah, I really I really loved how that turned out because that was and that was also really quick So it wasn't like we spent two weeks on it, you know, we spent like parts of two days trying to get everything together
0: Once that, that bomber jet landed in like desert area, I mean that that in and of itself was a lot yeah i remember watching that episode because we had put so many man hours into the season 12 premiere that it was like (laughs) we should have thrown a party to watch it in the back lot collectively together but like even once they were actually under the plane and you know the the expanse of the field that it had landed in like it yeah. was huge work.
2: Yeah, we were we were faking shadows and you know the things that they didn't necessarily have on set because they were going to be they're they're generating an aircraft basically. Right. A lot of a lot of things happen in an aircraft. The actual interior of the aircraft was on a set, so they didn't have the aircraft and visual effects was building the aircraft. And as they were moving around, we faked shadows and things in right. color, which was really fun. Um, and that actually that episode was interesting too because I was thinking about how many cameras and the diversity of cameras, and I don't think this is uncommon for things that have a lot of action, is sometimes people don't get the shot, and you only have so many times that you can explode something, right? So what I remember from that episode specifically, there is is a scene where uh, the two main characters are running from the plane that's shooting a turret at them, it's exploding around them, and for whatever reason uh, they didn't have a, a wide shot that kind of showed the geography of everything. And But what they did have was uh, a camera assist had their iPhone and <laughs> and was filming to say, look how cool this is. And it w- I mean, I'm glad they had that iPhone because the coverage was necessary and it, it, was it made it look good. Um, but yeah, you, you would get, as far as like strange cameras, you would get, you know, GoPros, Canons, Aries, drones, and now iPhones that we're all balancing and putting together and it looks great i, I like streeter let's cut in that scene because honestly that was that was that was super cool
0: well shaley tell me what's been kind of your juiciest collaboration and opportunity to dig in on a scene or an entire project
1: well actually i did a series with Great Iraqi uh, a couple of years two three years ago that we only did 10 episodes um it was for stars and uh i was can we it, ask what it was yeah, yeah it was now apocalypse Oh, is that how you know Bo? Yeah, that's how I know Bo. That's how how I met Bo. Bo, you know.
0: Bo, you know.
1: Yes, yes. So Bo and actually, how I know Bo is through Sandra Valde, who is uh, the cinematographer who Mm -hmm. works with Greg. She does pretty much everything Greg does. Um, That was a really cool project to work on because uh, she shot on Red, Mm. um, and we used the IPP2 workflow. Mm. Um, And I, I really appreciated having. I've been through some Red projects, and some, especially in the early days, Red One. Um, I did a series on that, and it was difficult. Yeah, yeah. So when I landed on Apocalypse, and you know, I, I don't think Sandra really wanted to shoot Red right away, but it really fit for her workflow, and specifically for the IPP2 camera color workflow. We wanted to use that specifically for Greg Araki because Greg cuts everything he shoots, um, and he and he likes it to look the way it's gonna be looking. And, you know, so like if you do a dailies process where uh, it's not necessarily uh, going to be processed in the direction that, that the team would want it to be, it causes problems in the offline, especially for certain creative types, right? Because you, you want to be able to uh, see what your work is. And, and yeah. so it, a lot of times people will fall in they'll, they'll get that temp love, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, this is where Sandra and I came up with our IPP 2 workflow is because what we were able to do is we were able to create looks for her uh, almost on a daily basis, um, and I could provide her LUTs for her to put into the camera, and then we were able to use those same LUTs, and it all all packs into the metadata, so it's Mm -hmm. actually quite clever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so dailies look exactly the way she shot it on set. And then that tracks all the way through because we use Resolve. Mm-hmm. And I, I leverage Resolve's groups heavily. And I also like um, uh, group grading, too, when you know, for, for uh, remote grades. Right. So in that case, I did use remote grades because we did 10 episodes. But we did 10 episodes like a big, giant feature. Yeah. Right. And we did them all at the same time. And we worked together very closely for many months. Yeah. And they were all open all at the same time. And everything kind of pushed back to each other and went back and forth. So using group using remote grades really helped because whenever I did a shot and it found itself down in an episode later, it was already done. Or if it found itself in a recap, it was already done, right? And I didn't and it was able, it was a really great way for me to use the database to be able to manage color and not have to like Mistakenly copy the wrong grade or whatever, because that's you know every recap has the wrong grade on some point, right? (laughs) All the time. You're like, oh no, no, where is all that? um, It was really awesome, fun show to work on. It was fun in the sense that I loved what Greg did with it and the storytelling, but it was technically fun for me because you know Sandra and I were able to have a lot of fun with Red, and I really liked being able to to learn how to use Red's color pipeline to be able to provide this this seamless from set to off online kind of process right the image literally looked exactly the same as it did on set as soon as we sat down and started grading yeah
0: Henri, sorry henry every time i just uh, you're thomas and you're Henri. i don't i can't i can't (laughs) help it i mean i guess we could make a you i don't there you go it's a whole tour in that henry tell me oh
3: my god I, I don't know like I've loved all the projects there's a few that I just had a little more creative time they're like please go um, and you Wait, get to I'm work sorry.
0: how often do you guys get that
3: very very yeah, not often. not not on TV it's never yeah. you're, you're constrained to time
0: did that change over time or has it's it it's changed always over been time
3: it's changed over time with with digital when it was filmed, like you had a little more time because the DPs actually were painting on set with light. Mm. When it came out and then and it became when it became digital, everybody's like, no, I want more. Shoot more takes. Like,
0: when you put it like that, that just. Uh, it hurts. They, I, I they
3: think in Hollywood right now. Right. They, exactly. And I think in Hollywood, I'm, I'm only talking about Hollywood. There's probably a handful of directors of photography that still have that given to them. They are only known for like creating amazing imagery. Everybody else when when digital came out, like the studios took that right away. It's more about like how many sets can you do on it. Right. right, exactly. So there, yeah, right? they just
1: they just they just want you to just be able to just turn it around. You know, they want you to be willing to shoot as many angles and cross light, right. basically right. cross light everything, which there are certain oh, yeah. photographers that are they'll be like I can't light it the way I want to light Right. And, so, and and that's
3: why Lutz took off. Let's give this. Let's help the studios. It didn't help the DP. It and doesn't I, help us.
0: And I always want to remember that we have a lot of students that listen and. Oh yeah, listen yeah. To this. Look up tables. That's what. Oh yeah,
3: look up tables. Sorry, guys.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so small files you so can put in files, your. application basically a filter. and it makes color. I mean, well, it's as, really supposed to just be a,
1: used for just like a viewing kind of a thing. It's it not was not really supposed, supposed to, to be used for yeah. on set. Yeah, yeah. It's that like the the uses become.
0: Well, I mean, honestly, beyond what I was
1: originally intended for. Correct. This is
0: seriously, and we're going to come back to like what you loved about what you love about collaborations. Your yeah. group. But like, color to me is, um, you know, I have a huge passion for creative editorial. That's where I came up. Feature films, especially, you spend anywhere from six months to eighteen months on one thing, tweaking the nuances. Mm. But you know, when I think about people listening to some of this stuff for the first time, and you're talking about nits edls <laughs> the
3: technical yeah, like
0: there's so many different things that we kind of take for granted and like what's a vam what's a ctm and, like all of these things and you guys have to swim in all of it you have to learn different softwares you're terrified i mean most people are terrified of software upgrades at this point but still like it's just it's ongoing it's like you're here in a very volatile relationship with in yeah. addition to a romance with the creative it's side. Imagery. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a good description of a colorist. Right? Yeah. You, know,
3: you know, it's funny, like the, the technology part is what keeps it fresh, mm-hmm. because it's part of our tools. Mm-hmm. And if our tools constantly evolve, then we can create new imagery or enhance our, our technique, right? Um, it's like
0: well, knives for chefs, or right. Oh my God, a sous vide. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah right. right.
1: Yeah. When I find a new tool, like I cannot wait for a photographer friend of mine to come and say, "Hey, look at what to I can do off. now." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, then, and then, then, what I love it is when they click and they go, ah. Hey, you know what I could do now? you're like, <laughs> "This is cool. We're figuring it <laughs> out. Let's do that. So, yeah. that."
3: They love that. There's directors of photography that come in. And they're like, "Hey, I heard." And there's some that do their homework, so they're like, "I remember when we were first using 2K." How many windows does your system do? Uh-huh. How many power tiers do you right. have? Right. How many do you have? And it's like, oh shit, we got two.
1: I think oh. only Company Three had three power tiers, but that's, you know, there was a few that had more.
3: <laughs> but um, it was amazing to like get 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 a director of photography that knew. And I had a few where like I worked at a specific company that a they had a DaVinci and it was a, a 2K plus and it didn't have a specific tool. The guy came in and he's like do you have this tool and i said unfortunately we don't <laughs> the guy got up took off he's
1: like oh yeah that go. was common back then. yeah it was very common you had to have it you know at least at least you know, one or two power that do like, focus board the focus board yeah mm-hmm. the focus board was really important for people to have that was yeah, yeah, really that's how cool they because that was the early days of, you, know, you couldn't do that stuff before yeah. that board. i mean that was that was really was no yeah, plug-in. advanced stuff. It was all this, done in real time. You were doing video it real time, yeah. based kind of stuff. It's amazing what these days, you know, like, I, I just, it was just the Resolve built-in FX, built-in oh, yeah, OFX. Yeah.
2: Well, now you have Magic Mask, right? Now That's you got what Magic people talk to me about, like, oh, okay, right. just just sample that person. Sample that person? What are you talking about? <laughs> I thought I need to be rotoing around him. Well, wow. I can kind of get it. Not not perfect, but we can kind of get it with Magic Mask. Yeah, so. they,
1: yeah, Magic Mask is really cool. I like the face refinement tool. Face it's refinement's really good. incredible. It saves. I mean, because I was doing beauty work on Desperate Housewives with a 2K and a defocus board. Yeah. And you know, I'm honestly, you know, I look, I look at those on Hulu and I go, oh, I'm sorry I did that, but uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> it, it, it was the tool of the day. You were it restrained was, by time. <laughs> it was, yeah, it wasn't was the I did that tool. show in eight hours. I was, I it was time, one man. Shift. That was a one wow. shift. I would have given you a week. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, well, we were famous for going fast. I mean, that was, I had to get fast back in those yeah, days. Yeah. So. Um, and, and that's the other thing is, is like, is like, if you give me enough time, I can, I can, oh, yeah. I can, I can do an incredible, a lot of, there's a lot that can be done. But if you say I need this done in four hours or six hours or eight hours, yeah. you know, you're, you're definitely, you're getting what you're paying for.
0: Yeah. Well, so can I ask about that? Cause we're getting kind of deep into the tools and how we're able to use them, fix things, bring things back, amplify, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Henry, you touched on the whole, like Rami loves him a proof of concept And they have done largely right by us, which Mm -hmm. means you guys have largely done right by those folks. Um, And we're very fortunate that we get to work with quite a few catalogs at this point that we get to help bring back to life. Um, Several that we can't talk about, but I will say one literally brought me to tears just a few weeks ago where um, it's a very well-known clip and... It's blown out. It's pixelated. You can't really see what's happening in that clip, but um, you know that it's magical. And we got the chance to rescan it. Thomas has been able to dive in a little bit. I just started sobbing because it's it's something that I've enjoyed for years to see it so much more of it come to life. But something we can talk about, you know, the Severn project, seeing those Mm. side by sides is like, it's shocking yeah. what we can do now with these tools, but um, you know I'm not sure how how much we can give away about any of the HDR Express versus yeah. enhanced stuff. But I would love to dive in a little bit there. So
2: yeah, for high dynamic. I high... love
0: that he literally goes.
2: I'm thinking about yeah yeah, yeah. where it's are we where he are can we go start. From... <laughs> mm, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and condense it yeah, to yeah. be as uh, as simple as possible. So uh, HDR video is obviously the best imagery that we can produce right now. Um, And not only is it the best imagery, for those who do not know, high dynamic range uh, or HDR basically means the contrast ratio of your brightest bright and your darkest dark. And for a long time, uh, when we made the transition to digital, we have been in a format that was designed to look the same on all monitors at the time so we're talking tube televisions, were sort of the weakest link. So the standard was kind of clamped so that the weakest link can look the same as other monitors. And now with newer, better monitoring technology, uh, our images can have infinitely more contrast, which makes it more lifelike, more depth. Uh, I think I heard, I, I forgot who told me this, but it wasn't more pixels that makes the image better. It's better pixels and I completely agree with that so a couple efforts that we have at digital film trees is, is HDR work since a lot of the major streaming platforms are using that and what we're doing is restoring old film in this case for for Severin um, and it shows the information that's there in the film because film captures significantly more information than what can be printed. Uh, That's the advantage of it. If you're working with tape, you're kind of locked into your eight or so stops of dynamic range, assuming that it's colored. But with film, you you can scan it in a log format and have these contrast ratios that you couldn't see before. So what that lets you do when we're restoring to HDR is we can look deeper into the blacks, we can have a more lifelike sky, and that gives a depth that the original image just didn't have. Never had. Yeah. yeah. And and so... They uh, didn't have a display system that could do it. Exactly. Exactly. They, they, even if they wanted to, they couldn't view it at that point. But the information was there. That moment in time is captured and it looks great. And I think that's why Rami is so adamant about film is film captures so much more range than what we were even able to display at the time. Right. Yeah. yeah, we're fortunate to have a lot of stuff on film for this particular reason exactly. because they will still have like the, these, these
1: catalogs that, that the studios own will have a life Yeah. As, because ultimately PQ or HDR yes. as, as we know it will be on everyone's, that will be the normal standard. Yes. It's just where we're going through that transition, very similar to like the SD to HD. Exactly. Now it's just going to be SDR to HDR. Right? Exactly. So.
3: And, and isn't it one of the actual points that the reason why we're here now is because display monitors are becoming so much, high resolution that we're catching up to camera
2: exactly formats
3: yeah and, and and in reality like if you have a 4k tv at home you have so much more range that a lot of the footage from all these vaults we're going to be able to go back and actually remaster a film and the new technology of tvs will let you see everything that they saw literally that day right on set because more and life that,
2: like imagery more Sometimes radiance. the filmmakers don't like that. They but, don't
3: like it because well, it shows all the imperfections. Well because imperfections.
1: Like, like you know like I I have done some mastering and I'm working at Paramount and and know of a number of stories where they'll will invite the director in to yeah. come and have a final say on the on the, the HDR remaster on the
3: master yeah yeah.
1: And it, it scares them. Oh yeah. Because it, it it's not It's not the film that they remember seeing. Well, that's actually, I mean. From it's a, different. It's been, and we could all go, wow, that's cool. And it's better. Yeah. But, but yeah. it's creatively not exactly. what they thought it was. Like yeah. There's Those neon lights in the background, for example. Like It's like you see the tube. It's really cool. And you're like, I don't want to see the tube. It was right. blurry and blown out and ethereal so before.
0: shocking to me. And literally yeah. total pedestrian shock. Like. Mm-hmm when we were going through that with um one of the folks that we were even talking about a proof of concept with and the one of the first things that hit me was like some of these cinematographers and directors are long gone oh yeah and so they're almost kind of beholden to if there's rights or residuals or something like that but if it's free and clear then it's like that's the again total pedestrian like why wouldn't you want to bring it in and right. like? why wouldn't Remastered. you want to enhance this and right. bring so Make much more. more to life right. and, you know, um, especially
2: cause you already have it. Yeah. That's the thing. You have it's it. You've you just been what throwing existed. it away and right. you don't realize it. It's
0: kind of like the book versus the movie. Like, honey, the book will never go away. Right. Right. Um, Correct. And so it's just, it was interesting to watch that. And then I can't overstate how cool that is for someone like me who has not sat down at a resolve who does not generally tend to know better than what you've put in front of me until I sit and see how something was done and the process behind it. But, like, when I saw you, I think uh, you redid The Muppet's Christmas Carol. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah.
2: that was a personal. It was,
0: but it was so I, fun. I, and
2: we've been, yeah, I, I have an editor friend, and we've been slowly and consistently every year making The Muppet Christmas Carol better (laughs) that's awesome Um, getting in the deleted scenes definitely making the vhs and the blu-rays all kind of line up it's it's uh it's really fun if you
0: could get a laser disc of star wars and there we go but um maybe we could talk to a laser disc player yeah we will get one um but that's when i first saw your screens of like well this is hdr express and you know keeps the integrity of everything that you know had initially been wanted and just upconverts, but then Here's HDR enhanced. Right. And it was like all of the data. You had like an extra four inches of data on the screen and I was like We
2: wouldn't want that. Yeah. Why wouldn't yeah. you want that? Yeah. Is, yeah.
0: but, what do you mean you don't want that? Yeah.
2: yeah. So so it just depends on the person. Yeah, but right. but I, and, HDR for those at home. I mean, I,
0: industry, and I was like, whoa! It's
2: cool. Yeah. You know, well, and most people react that
1: way. I mean, that's why Best Buy has them all lined up. You know, they're, they're gonna sell TVs. Mm-hmm.
2: But for those at home who 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 don't maybe not aren't clear on what HDR Enhance and Express are. Sorry, sorry. sorry. I'll I'll I'll, a CTO I'll, hat. I'll I'll bring it together. <laughs> so so HDR remastering of film sources or even of log imagery or raw imagery. Uh, is a normal HDR workflow, but if you don't necessarily have access to the raw or uh, a log or film scan, uh, we have a process of upresing Rec 709 or SDR images into an HDR color space. Now, obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean you will get more information than what was there originally, but it's important to understand that in SDR world, as you approach your peak highlight you start to lose color saturation as a byproduct of the color space. So when we let that, when we let the HDR image live, or excuse me, when we let the SDR image live in PQ or in an HDR color space, you start to see things that you may not have seen before. So like Rekt was a good proof of concept where we had an outdoor scene, and I'm sure they had the note because I hear it all the time, can you make that sky bluer, right? Well, the trick to make a sky bluer when you're working in SDR is you actually have to darken it. You can't just dial up the saturation. You're not going to see anything. Right. So we just raised it a little bit. Let that top 80% of the image live. And, oh, my God, the, the sky is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's what they shot that day. That's what it looked like. And so the different options that we have, HDR Express versus HDR Enhance, has to do with how we are tone mapping that upper 80 percent of the image are we expanding it out to try and give that contrast or are we just kind of making for hdr express the goal there is that when we eventually do our derived sdr version it looks exact or within i think we said 95 percent accurate to the original with hdr enhanced our goal is to make a very good hdr image that might mean that the SDR might be a little different, but it'll still be very close. And so by tone mapping that upper 80%, you end up getting just really good imagery. Like you can see more into the highlights than what was, yeah, than what you could see otherwise. So anyway, that's the, that's the (laughs) breakdown. Thank you, Jamal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well guys, what am I, what am I forgetting? What do you really wish like Gosh, Nancy! More people know,
3: need to know this about color. If you can, give your directors of photography a little bit of time just to paint with light. I've always said that. Like, if you don't do that, and then give us the ability to actually create an amazing picture mm-hmm. um, with the canvases that were being provided, because the majority of the time they're they're gorgeous, but we don't have time. Like, mm-hmm. but. I, I honestly fight always for the DP because that's, like, a hard job. And they don't have enough time. You know, they they cheap out on that part. Uh, the stories are great, but why not, you know, like, why not the imagery take a little bit of a... Because, you know, you want the audiences to walk in and be at the end of the film or whatever, the show, to be like, damn, I want to see that again.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And you don't get that a lot no more.
1: What I would wish people knew more about color is—is um, is it's not as—I don't know. I actually—it's really hard to say because we live in this age where everybody thinks they understand color because Instagram, right. that's right, and right. photo filters. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. Right. Physical cool,
0: <laughs> visceral reaction to that. Yeah. Well, that, I
1: mean, but it's the reality is the average bear, and, and this is who we're catering to. I mean, this right. is who this the audience is people, <laughs> right? And and most everybody thinks they know a little bit about it, right? So, twenty five years ago, people would ask me, "Hey, what do you do for a job?" Was like, I'm a colorist. They go, "What's that?" Like, mm-hmm. It's like an editor and then just kind of leave it like that right well now actually I actually say it's like Photoshop for TV and everybody gets it right away yeah
0: let's bring it home final
2: final thing well I think uh, I I really like it's Photoshop for it's Photoshop for video that's that's really really good Uh, but I think what a lot of people don't realize about color and colors in general is you're also kind of the technical general for the whole workflow you know so the learning never stops. You learn about cameras. You learn about formats. You learn about deliver. You learn about everything, everything because ultimately your name is on the final image, and so it's yes, it's a collaborative process. But you just never stop learning because you want to keep s- speaking the language. You want to. You well, I know think what our we're position
1: is to know these things. Yeah, you know? exactly. I
2: mean, I'm forever a student. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> so I, I,
1: it's, it, it, I think that's why I actually like the job. Yeah. It, Keeps it fresh. It, yeah, because there's always something new to, to learn. Like when their new update comes out, I'm like, Ooh,
2: Right. That? Well, even just like cameras, IPP2, right? So, so, right? Raw and Log are, are two solutions to the same problem and you have to be fluid in both and you have to understand the differences. Every camera seems to come out with its new flavor of Log. So, Every company's got to have their own thing. Exactly, exactly.
0: Well, if I could make one more ask of your time, because I think it kind of ties everything together, especially with why we chose the topics for the Geniuses series that we did. Innovation, curiosity, pandemics, color science, VFX, all of those things tie into one universal dominating feature of the past couple of years. Working from home, Mm -hmm. color review sessions, Mm -hmm. Oh.
3: That's been challenging. It's been a brutal process. Uh, I honestly think even on that other project we did, oh my God. Um, But if you can definitely send in your monitor or get a monitor similar to what we have
2: and get it calibrated. As far as like, uh solutions right for remote, we're we're asking a lot of the internet, right? Oh the yeah, 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 if if you're saying, oh well I wanna see this 12G signals, 12 G SDI signal, 12 gig SDI signal, but it needs to be ten megs to get across the internet yeah. through home internet, like you're throwing not only the baby out with the bathwater, you're you're throwing you're throwing half the tub out too. Right. So. so streaming is like you can you can get as good as you can get unfortunately and it's always going to be a balance between internet and color accuracy i do i do rather like resolves remote color i think that's the best way yeah to do it so so sending a remote system into the field with a monitor that you calibrated side by side so that you know it is it it, it should look accurate yeah. uh and how that system works is instead of sending the whole video stream you're only sending commands so i'm working on my resolve system it's linked to this other one, those commands are being replicated.
1: Yeah, they're following along as, exactly. as they,
2: they're, they're basically following your system. Exactly. And because
1: you, as you, the facility, deploy the equipment and manage that, then you can control, control that experience. Exactly. So what's it's crazy, crazy. is the closest you can get to probably having the best remote experience without them being in the room, because honestly, nothing beats being in the room. Exactly. What's yeah,
3: crazy that. is that without knowing, we, Digital Film Tree, did our first remote sessions with mistresses.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
3: we sent systems to the actual studio. And I remember grading here, (laughs) taking footage, because the internet sucked, Mm -hmm. taking footage to the actual system, leaving it. And then because of our relationship with Blackmagic, that's when we were working with them for the remote. And I would have the system over there chase my system here with the DP just going from the set upstairs to a room. And then we would do the remote sessions. And at first it was brutal. And then it it became what it is today, you know? And then obviously now incorporating the whole streaming, it's like, it's made it easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the one challenge is always the damn monitor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's what's wild is because that started a long time ago. And it's not that we didn't know We didn't know about the pandemic, but we did know that people hated the 405. We did know that people wanted to live in Manhattan Beach or Topanga Canyon or
3: go to Hawaii. You know, and
0: we knew that and this workflow, how it evolved. You know, we talk about this in the pandemics for geniuses. We had to go through these paces with our HR manager I know, because we had to send people into the field to laboriously set up some of these systems that now include 5.1 surround sound. And literally every single person in the entirety of the workflow is at home.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, you have Jacob Tillman, our, our online editor for NCIS LA, kicking off deliverables from home. You have Thomas running the color review sessions from home, the entire VFX department from home, supervising producer Chris Molnar from home with the 5.1 doing these review sessions, Eric Whitmire from home, all of them. And we got to do kind of a, a panel with them, the NCIS LA at home, and everything was wonderful except the internet. I know, <laughs> you know? that was know. a challenge. And that was, you know, so much credit to, to uh, establishments like Zoom, um, give it up for Roger Barton and Evercast, like yeah. so many different friends. Who really stepped into the arena to make these things work? And I said it a lot during those first eight months, especially. But what had been a luxury of not having to drive forty-five minutes to two hours to come do a review session overnight became a necessity. Right. And it was just a function of technological creative geniuses Putting pushing those things. Yeah. Forward, long before they were a necessity, but an ability to. Like our industry was more uniquely
1: situated for that because a lot yeah. of a lot of our industry was already kind of looking at some of these kind mm-hmm. of remote kind of you know solutions of like, well, if I don't necessarily have to be mm-hmm. there, how can I check it? The- yeah. So you know, we were, it just pushed it over the edge. Yeah. Definitely rush things up. And well, the fact that we could do remote sessions is amazing to me.
2: Right, 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 right.
0: With that, ladies and gentlemen, Artemis has called it. <laughs> That's our Color Science for Geniuses episode here on The Drop. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.
3: See you guys.